Uh, if you saw the sign out there between the doors on Thrive, that's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it. Who, who did it? Morgan? Oh, thank you, Morgan. Thank you for doing it. It looks great, Danny. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah, thank you. Thrive. That's what we've been talking about this, this year. And as I think about thriving, there's some things we don't always look at because part of thriving means that, that God's at work in your life and God has a call on your life. And God has a way he wants to direct you and lead you. And when I think about the call of God on our lives, there's, there's a, always a couple of stories that I, I, I drift to. The first one is in the book of Genesis. chapter. We're going to start chapter 11, 31. Chapter 11, verse 31. Very familiar name. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, of Har- son of Haran, his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur, the Chaldeans, to go to Canaan. When they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. They set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. The story of Abraham starts out with him being in Ur, which is... If you, it's a place called the Fertile Crescent. It's one, down here over here is Ur, here's Haran, and over here is Israel. And this was all desert in the middle. And usually when you, got the, you go there, you went this circle. Well, they got into Haran up here and stayed. That was about a, probably a 700-mile journey on foot. Okay? Took him probably several months to get there. And it must have been a pretty special place because his brother's named after the city where they're at there, right? Haran. And they settled down there, and uh, they built houses, they established businesses, they, they enjoyed life. Things were going pretty well. And all of a sudden, Abraham's dad dies. And it's not long after he dies that the Lord shows up again. I don't know if Abraham's walking somewhere, if he's just praying. But somehow the Lord shows up and said, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the place I will show you. And he must not leave. My father's buried here, Lord. And you want me to leave? This is, my family has settled here. My brother's here. And by your word, I'm just supposed to pack up, pick up, and go wherever you lead me? See, God doesn't exactly tell him where he's going. Okay? God doesn't tell him how long the journey's going to be. He just tells him to pack up and go. You see, God's calling Abraham to leave everything that's kind of secure in his life. To take everything with him that he can and by faith, go to wherever God tells him to go. Just launch out by faith, Abraham. So he's to forsake all his old support systems. He's to forsake everything he knows and absolutely trust God to take him. God has his call on Abraham's life. And so Abraham does what he's told to do. He launches out by faith. He just goes wherever God leads him. See, God's call on his life makes him have to decide whether he's going to follow where God wants him or if he's going to be comfortable. Eh, it's pretty comfortable here in Iran, God. I know the place real well, you know. Dad's buried here. My brother's here. We've got good business going on. Uh, I just don't know if I want to do that. And you know what? Following God was no guarantee in Abraham's life. When he does follow God, he ends up in Canaan, right? And it's not long 
you know the story, it's not long, what happens in the land of Canaan? There's a famine in the land, right? So Abraham, all of a sudden, he's got this famine, and he doesn't know what to do, and he decides to go to Egypt. And he gets to Egypt, and he says, you know, he says to Sarah, man, you're a fox. Okay? And they're going to see you, and they're going to take you for a wife. And if they know I'm your husband, they're going to kill me to get you. So just tell them I'm your brother. So that's what happens. We know that Pharaoh comes and takes Sarah and is going to include him in his harem. And, of course, he finds out that Sarah and Abraham are really married. And he sends them off with you know, a bunch of blessings. They get back, get back to Canaan. And, of course, we have Ishmael being born and then all the problems of Abraham trying to figure out why God's not giving him a, a son from Sarah. And they pray about that. And finally, Sarah, finally, Abraham gets to the ripe young age of 100. I mean, he's waited all this time for a son. In a sense, 100 years. And finally, this child comes, this miraculous child comes. You know the story, right? And what happens when... when uh, Isaac starts growing up. He and Ishmael kind of get into it. So, you know, God tells him to send Ishmael away. And so, in a sense, he loses a son. And then when Isaac gets to be about 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there, God says, now, I want you to take this son that you love, this son of promise, and I want you to go offer him as a sacrifice to me on the place I show you. Think about this. This is the son he's waited for. Now he's 112 years old. He's waited for this son, and God's telling him to go sacrifice him? Are you kidding me, God? Then say that. It says early in the next morning, you got up, bound some wood, took the fire, and off they went for a three-day hike to Mount Moriah. And there he's prepared to offer up to God this big blessing that God's given him in his life. God didn't tell him when he called him he was going to go through all those kind of things. God didn't tell him that, that if you follow me, you know, it's going to be smooth sailing, man. There's going to be no issues we do know this because Abraham followed God that promise all the peoples on the earth will be blessed by you came true there are literally billions of lives that have been changed because of Abraham's obedience we have the Bible we have David we have Jesus we have salvation because he made that journey of faith following his call see the call of God means you're ready to set out and act on what his his word tells you the willingness to follow God's call mean, means that you, you're, his ways are greater than our ways. We don't have God figured out. Would you admit that? There are times when God moves that makes no sense to me. And I'm sure there's times in Abraham's life that made no sense to him. Following God's call means what he does, he begins to allow you to explore your limits. It means he begins to help you overcome your weaknesses. And he helps you discover his dream for your life. God's got a call on your life. He's got a dream for your life. Did you know that? Calls are not limited to pastors and patriarchs. Hey, that PMP, pastors, patriarchs, and people. Well, what if Abraham would have said no? No, I don't think so, God. I really, you know, there was a guy in the Bible who did say no to God's call. Remember who that was? Jonah, right? Remember that story? God comes to Jonah, right? And said, son of Amittai, Jonah 1, verse 2, Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come upon me. But Jonah ran from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying fare, he went on board and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, first of all, you've got to know, you can't run from God because you're always running into God. 
You got that? Because Jonah gets on this boat. God says, go east. He goes west. He gets on his boat. He's in the middle of, uh, of the Mediterranean. What happens? Storm comes up, right? This great storm. It starts tossing the boat, right? And in that day and age, they casted lots, right? They drew straws. And a straw fell on Jonah, and they found that he was the issue. And, Jonah, and they said, what should we do? And he said, throw me overboard. But they didn't want to. So when they decided not to, it says the storm got worse. Because they knew Jonah was running from the Lord. Jonah was running from God's call. And Jonah didn't want to do what God told him to do. Well, finally it got so bad, they tossed him overboard. You remember the rest of the story, don't you? It says God prepared a big fish, swallowed Jonah... And Jonah prayed for three days in the belly of the fish, and finally he becomes fish vomit. Probably a nicer way to say that, but he's fish vomit. Right? So that's what happens if you say no to God's call. You become fish vomit. <laughs> Quite a word picture, isn't it? In Matthew 4, we've got Jesus. He's walking on the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and they left their boat and their father and followed him. Let's look at Peter for a minute. Peter is called by Jesus. He's just doing his thing. He's just fishing, okay? He just enjoys fishing. And Jesus shows up and says, follow me. Jesus' call disrupts Peter's life and lifestyle. Did you ever notice that? In fact, he's, in a sense, given a new job, but really has no job. Right now, all he's supposed to do is follow Jesus. He's supposed to be, become a student. That's his calling. Follow me and learn from me, and I'll teach you how to fish for men. Okay? He leaves his place of employment. He leaves his friends. He leaves his family. His wife doesn't travel with him. He has no permanent location. What does Jesus do? Jesus just travels around different spots. He's always got to learn new names. How'd you like that? I'm terrible at learning new names. He's always got to learn new names and new people and new places. And he has all these questions, these problems come into him. Where are we going to get all the food to feed these 5,000 men? Peter, would you come to me on the water? Think about that. He had all these issues he had to face. And he's really forced to face himself and his own weaknesses. Peter's life could not be comfortable or convenient, could it? Because whenever you follow God, follow God, there's always risk involved. And Peter comes with the greatest challenge of his life. He's just confessed Jesus as the Christ. We come to this story in Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and said, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus said to the disciples, If anyone should come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be from a man if he forfeits his soul by gaining the whole world? You see, we're called to follow the one who laid down his life for us. We're called to follow the one who gave it everything up. And for Peter, that makes no sense. Why should the Messiah have to die? Lord, I want to protect you. Lord, I don't want that to happen. 
Lord, don't let it happen. And Jesus' response is really in a tone of grief and sorrow. Sometimes we want to think he's mad, but he's really not. He's just like, you're, you're acting like Satan, Peter. You're acting like, like the accuser. You don't understand what you're saying, Peter. There's always a temptation when God's got his call on our life to somehow reduce the standards of God's design so we can handle it. See what I'm saying? Here's what God's call's about, but, well, God, I really don't want to do that, so can I just kind of bring it down a little bit and change a little bit so it fits what I want? And Jesus says it doesn't work that way. There is a cost to following Jesus. These verses, and here are my life verses, and I have memories out of the Gospel of Luke. If anyone should come after me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will find it. What should a prophet a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? You see, Jesus realized following him means there's moments of change. He says there's three things you have to do. You have to deny yourself. And the word means a total self-giving of yourself. You realize it's not about me. If you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus, he's got his call on your life, and it's not about you. And if you want to thrive, you need, you need to understand that. You need to deny yourself. Because your life is not about you and what you want. And secondly, he says you must take up your cross. Now, let me tell you something. I've heard you know, some people say, oh, the cross is just my lumbago. Oh, it's, my, it's a cross I got to bear. You know, that's not what it means. A cross is the instrument of your death. A cross is the instrument that God gives you and says, here, take this and follow me. You're going to take it, and you're going to take it to a place where you're going to be nailed to it, and you're going to give up your life for other people. It's a place you realize you have no more rights. My future is in God's hands, and my present I give up to him. When Jesus was on that cross, he gave his life for you and me. Everybody in that day and age knew the cross was a place you lost your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have lost your life for him because he lost his life for you. Then he says, follow me. We've talked about that. It means put your footsteps in the footsteps of Jesus. No longer do you play it safe. Now you have to risk everything for Jesus. It means Peter's life was never the same. Think about Peter. His life was never the same. He followed Jesus, and he began to change the whole world. He became the leader of the first church. He struggled with things. He and Paul had their moments of arguing. But because of Peter's leadership, millions of lives have been changed. Yes, he did lose his life being crucified according to tradition upside down in Rome in the, in the 60s. Peter didn't realize that either. When we follow God, God doesn't offer that it's going to be safe. We follow God and God doesn't offer it's going to be easy. All he says is, my grace is with you and my strength is made perfect in your weaknesses. I remember 
back when I was 22, just a few years ago. I remember battling God for about six months with his call in my life. I remember finally one day I thought I'd had enough of this battle. I came home after picking a carpet for my dad in Indianapolis, Indiana, kneeling by my bed, opening my Bible and said, God, I have enough of this. I want to know what your call is in my life. And through his word, he spoke to me and said, I have a call on your life to be a pastor. Can I tell you, I was scared to death at that moment. I was scared to death to tell her she didn't marry a pastor. She married a carpet layer, okay? That's a pretty safe job. I was scared to tell my dad. I was doing most of the carpet installation in my dad's store. And I didn't know where God was going to lead. Four years at a college, right, just 10 miles from our house. I didn't know God was going to let me go to college there. It was a blessing. I didn't know God was going to lead me to some little town in Indiana named Argus and the people we'd meet there, beautiful people, good people. I didn't know he'd going to bring me for 11 years back to my hometown. 11 years in our hometown. That was kind of cool. Didn't know he was going to take me to Chesterton, Indiana, up by Lake Michigan. And I never believed he'd take me to the mission field of Ohio, let me tell you that. <laughs> okay? He didn't tell me the beautiful people we'd meet along the way. He didn't tell me the joy we'd find. He didn't tell me the hard moments and the struggles and the pains and the heartaches. God just says, trust me and follow me. And it's easy in this journey when you go with the Lord, you think when you get to a certain place, you've arrived. I'm here. It's a good place, right? But the truth of the matter is, it's only a stop on the journey. You know where we're going? We're going to heaven. I'm on the road to heaven and you're on the road to heaven. And as a pastor, you know, you come to a place and you get your life wrapped around the people. You learn to love them. You learn to invest your life in them. You get a burden on your heart for them. I can't tell you how many times I've knelt at this altar right here and wept for some of you and for this church. You don't do that without loving people and caring for people. You get to dedicate people to the Lord, baptize people to the Lord, marry couples and bury friends. You've prayed for them, held their hand when it's tough, wept with them, and laughed with them. And as a pastor, when you do that, God does a deep work in your heart. And the lives become entwined together. Because you love people. You can't serve the Lord and not love people. But you know, sometimes the light of God moves on. He says his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. When, when you follow Jesus... Your life is not your own. It's about being called by God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, At the call, the old life is left behind and completely surrendered. The disciples dragged out of the security of a life of absolute in, to a life of absolute insecurity because your security is in Jesus alone. And this disciple is taken to the realm of the, out, of the, out of the realm of the finite into the realm of the infinite. It is a life of nothing else than bondage to Jesus Christ alone. We are called to an exclusive attachment to the person of Jesus. 
is the call to leave everything that's nailed down and follow Jesus into the unknown by faith alone. When God called us here seven years ago, we came wounded and broken. We were. Of course, we didn't know how bad you guys were kind of in that place too. You've helped us heal. You welcomed us into your hearts. You welcomed us into your homes. And you've helped us heal. You've allowed me to be real again. I always thought I should be real, but when you get burnt by a friend and a couple board members, it makes it hard to be real. But I, I've learned that. You gave me the joy back in my ministry. I'd lost that. I love doing what I'm doing this morning. I love standing in Sunday school class and teaching Sunday school. I love Wednesday night. I love it now. Thank you for giving that to me. And we've grown to love you more than I can ever tell you. But God does a work in your heart if you're growing in him. When I first came, I was just beginning to have a burden for the marginalized people. I started helping out BNOC there, giving out food and when that kind of collapsed because of, of, of time constraints, we got involved in Rich and New Hope. And then I started going downtown to feed the homeless. And I remember God is doing something. I know. I remember telling Wednesday night Bible study, God is doing something in my heart, and I don't know what it is. I sense that deeply. And I thought, well, maybe God's calling me to be, you know, a director of a homeless shelter. I searched that for about that long and I knew that wasn't it. I said, no. And when, we've, when I've been here for these seven years, I've gotten invited to go there to other churches. Churches really bigger than this one. I always tell them, well, let me pray about it, but in my heart I knew, nah, that's, that's not right. Well, in the middle of December, I got a call again from a church in Indiana. And I found myself, instead of saying, let me pray about it, when when the pastor was telling me, he said, well, the church has been in existence six years. His founding pastor died of cancer. The next guy that followed him had an affair with the church secretary. It's a very hurting and broken church. Used to run 600, runs 300. He says they have a, a ministry where they feed 700 families a month out of their church. They have a, a, a cloak, cloak giveaway there but they need somebody to come in and help them heal. Would you be interested? And before I could say, let me pray about it, the word sure came out of my mouth. I backed away and said, wait, wait, I want to pray about it. And I did. He said, send me your resume, and I did. And they called me, and I went over to talk to him. I thought, well, maybe I'm going to learn something there I can bring back here. That's happened. That's not what happened. We were driving home after that interview, and I remember talking with Brenda. I argued with God for three hours, but the, you know, the story of Jonas kind of sets hard on you. And I finally said, what do you think we're supposed to do? And she said, I don't want to say. And I said, yeah, I don't want to say either. What do you think we're supposed to do? And she said, I think we're supposed to follow through on this. And I said, yeah, I do too. Last Sunday, I went over there to preach a message to candidate. That's why I wasn't here. They've given me a call, and I have accepted that doesn't mean we're leaving tomorrow. You have to put up with me for about another four months. Although next Sunday we're going to a marriage retreat. 
Because okay. I've been telling my wife needs it, but it might be me. And I want you to know it's not because of anything bad. There's absolutely nothing bad going on. Everything wonderful is going on. We love all of you from the bottom of our hearts. That's what makes it really hard. It's not because I want to go. Because I don't. It's not because I'm angry with anybody. Because I'm not. But when I knelt by my bed at the age of 22 and gave my life to Jesus in a call to ministry, I told him, wherever you lead me, I will go. That's what ties me, is my call to Jesus to be a pastor of a church. And what ties me here or wherever is the call that God has put on my life to be at a certain church for a certain time. I was walking in this sanctuary praying about a year and a half, two years ago, and God spoke to my heart and said, this church is well. It doesn't mean we don't have things we need to deal with, but from where it's been, you're healed. And I begin to say, God, where do we go from here? And I've worked with the, the board as we've talked about different things. You have a wonderful board, let me tell you. And we've talked about different things and put together different things, talking about where to go. But there's moments I thought, man, I just don't feel like I can get any traction. We've got some good things coming. Death ministry starts next Sunday. Hope you'll be praying about that and praying for that. 